Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an Asian, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourselves up. I told that five-story building. You're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, you t- the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you and O'Reilly. They can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisons in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, over, when they, when they over incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march or demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marching, they never changed anything. Okay, welcome to another installment of It's My House. And today's podcast is titled Affordable Housing News and Information. Affordable Housing News and Information. You know, uh, that's really at our roots. Uh, we're going to, we're about to go into year, either year four, year five. Of it's my house with because we're coming up on one thousand. Uh, we're approaching one thousand. It's now we've done over a thousand podcasts. I mean, I had or produced them in some kind of way. But for it's my house exclusively, we're over nine hundred. 
we're over 980, so uh, we're, and our birthday is uh, December 24th. That's our birthday. So um, I don't know if we'll hit it. If we don't hit a 1,000 podcasts with It's My House by our birthday, it'll be soon thereafter. Um, and we're, we're going to get um, more formatted because we, we've never been really formatted uh, since we've been doing it. So uh, we're going to target um, some of this. We're going to train some people to become housing reporters um, and, and really hit some things um, uh, that can help people uh, as far as finding affordable housing finding affordable housing uh, or find a place where you can um, create your own affordable housing, okay? So um, in any event, um, we, we, did, uh, we did about a month's worth of 30-minute uh, podcast, so today we don't have a we we're opening up to one hour, but we can go further than that. But we'll we'll start with one hour, and then probably tomorrow we'll be doing, doing two hours. But in any event, so affordable housing news and information. If you got any questions on housing, affordable housing, or anything like that, give us a call. Uh, you can give us a call at the live stream number at six one nine seven six eight two nine four five. That's six one nine seven six eight two nine four five. Another thing, we're going to have um, a whole bunch of new audio for you um, pre- pre- starting tomorrow. Starting tomorrow. Um, but before I, we go to our guest, Plus and Stephens, a co-host, we're going to replay something I played on here plenty of times, but that's a day you probably won't hear it for a while. No matter of fact, we're, we're going to come up with our own audio version of this. Uh, but uh, this is essentially, well, I'll, I'll let the guy speak for himself, and then we'll, after that, we'll get to uh, Pleasant Sevens. Hi, folks. In this video, I'd like to talk about how to have a home with no house payments and no monthly utility bills. You may think that's not possible, but I do it, and lots of other people do it as well. I'm going to show you how it can be done, how it can be done very inexpensively, and just kind of a, give you some ideas for things that you can do that uh, society and uh, the economic powers that be don't want you to know. So stay with me for a second and let me walk you through this. First, you need some land. This is my piece of land which is under an acre, about three-fourths of an acre, and that's really all you need to take care of most of the needs you have and for running a small homestead. Now I was lucky enough to get this piece of property uh, from family. It was uh, willed to me when my father passed away. But I have also purchased small pieces of property like this for under $400. I have an acre down in uh, Arizona near Sholo, Arizona that I purchased for under $400. I have five acres near El Paso, Texas that I purchased for under $700. So it's very easy to find a piece of land if you do some looking around. eBay is a good source for finding land. Tax sales are a good source for finding land. 
Uh, family members may want to sell off a piece of land, go around looking in rural areas, and maybe you'll find a farmer that wants to split off a small piece of land and would gladly sell you one. You don't have to spend a lot of money on land. Okay, This is land that doesn't have utilities run to it. Uh, it doesn't have a blacktop road that runs into it or driveway. It's rough land. That's what you start with usually if you want to buy a small piece of land that you're going to homestead on. After you have your piece of land, then you're going to have to have a house. You can have a big house like most people live in, and you can pay a lot of money for it and have a mortgage and be a slave to the system for another 30 years, or you can decide if you'd like to build a smaller house like mine. Paid for with cash. This is my solar cabin. The cabin cost me $2,000 to build. That does not include the doors and windows which I salvaged off of a trailer that was being torn down. For the cabin, it cost me $2,000. It is 14 by 14. Downstairs is living area, dining area, bathroom, kitchen. Upstairs, I have a loft bedroom and an office. In my other videos, I take you on a complete walkthrough of this cabin, so watch those if you want to see how the cabin is uh, as large as it is and functional on the inside. Up there on my roof, you see my solar panels. That's a 350-watt solar system that provides all of my electricity needs for lights, TVs, water pumps, all miscellaneous gadget, laptop TV, run my vacuum, and everything else off of a 350-watt system. That 350-watt system cost me under $3,000. $2,000 for the cabin, $3,000 for the power system of solar electricity, and I use propane. I have a propane tank in the back of the cabin, and I have a propane furnace, fridge, stove, and on-demand water heater, and those cost me just about $200 for an entire year. And we have cold winters here, folks under $200 for an entire year for all of my propane. That is the only utility bill I have. I do not pay for electricity. I do not pay for water because I drilled my own water well. Before I drilled my own water well, though, I hauled water in. But drilling a water well on a piece of property is not that hard. You can either do it yourself or hire somebody to do it. So I have no monthly utility bills. I have a house that's completely paid for, and I have freedom. A freedom that you can't get when you're under the pressure of a mortgage and utility bills. I want you to take just a minute and think about what you could do with your life if you had no house payments and no utility bills. And I'm telling you, it is completely possible. I'm not going to go into any details of how to get out of the house that you're in. You're going to have to figure that out and talk to some professionals for some help that way. All I'm here to do is tell you it's completely possible. Now, some of you are looking at the cabin and saying, yeah, but I couldn't possibly live in anything that small. This cabin was designed specifically for additions to be built on any of three sides. As you can see, the cabin has no windows on any of the three sides. There is a window in the back door glass. The sides are 14 by 14. The cabin was built to have uh, shed additions built on all three sides. This cabin is 400 square feet approximately inside with 200 square foot footprint. When you add on additions, you could add on an additional 400 square feet on either side and off the back, giving you anywhere from 800 to 1,200 square feet. The great thing about building a small cabin to start out with, though, 
is it gives you a place to live when you build on your additions. And that way you can wait and live very cheaply without any house payments or utility bills. And then when you have the money, you can build on the additions to expand the cabin. That's very good for a single person or a young couple who don't have children because you don't need a whole lot of space to start off with. This way you can save for it, build on as you want to, have the additions, uh, have the extra room if that's what you want. Now I live full time in this cabin. I live by myself, but my girlfriend comes up here on the weekends and we stay together. And let me tell you, it's perfectly comfortable. We don't feel cramped at all. And we, we'd much rather have a small place like this. It takes a lot less money to heat. It takes a lot less money to cool. It's a lot easier to clean. Uh, it's just a, a fantastic home. Now, I'm not trying to push you into building a home exactly like mine. I'm just trying to provide you with some ideas. If you wanted to come up with different ideas, a different plan, that's, that's just fine by me. But if you are interested in learning how to build a home like mine, I do have an ebook available and a printed book available called Simple Solar Homesteading. Go to www.simplesolarhomesteading.com. You can learn how to build a cabin like mine or at least get some great ideas for building your own home. Now I want to repeat. I own my land. I have a house that I built for under $2,000. I have a solar electric system that I have for under $3,000. I use propane, which costs me under $200 a year. I have no house payments. I have no utility bills. If you want a life like this, it is very possible. You can stop listening to the media, and you can stop being put under society's pressures to live in the type of houses that everyone tells you you have to live in. You can live very inexpensively, and you can do this at an age, at any age, whether you're older or younger. If you're younger and you start in a place like this, imagine the amount of money that you would have to retire on with no house payments, no utility bills, and freedom. Thank you for joining me, folks. Please watch the rest of my videos for more detailed information on each of the systems and a complete walkthrough of the cabin. Okay, we played that audio a lot of times particularly in the last couple of months or so. So starting tomorrow, we're going to add on, um, we've dumped a lot of our old, uh, matter of fact, we've dumped all of our old audio except for that one. And we're going to replace that, that the audio you just heard uh, uh, with something that we're doing on our own. But in any event, what I want to go to, like I say, today's podcast is titled Affordable Housing News and Information. Um. That's what we're – we want to take that last audio clip, um, and the goal, I guess, by this time next year, if we can actually do one house a week like that and take our podcast time along with a live stream so actually people can not only hear it but actually see it. That's the goal by this time next year where we're actually doing a minimum of one one helping one of you guys somewhere on the globe um, build one tiny house per week. Now, because this is a global situation, affordable housing. Pleasant Stephens will be on soon. Uh, says something that's very true not only in the United States but globally that your largest cities are not are basically designed for the wealthy. I was recently, a matter of fact, last month um, over in Southeast Asia, I was in Manila for about three or four days. 
uh, in the Philippines. And Manila out of has the has more homeless people than any other major city on the planet. Now, I saw just a little glimpse of it because uh, there's it, a lot of people there. But um, and and the common denominator between Manila, anywhere in the U- New USA, Chicago, Miami, New York, D.C., San Francisco. Uh, any place we have homeless people globally, the common denominator is educationally. These people have not learned. Mainstream education doesn't teach you how to build out your house, house without without uh, institutional bank financing. Two hundred years ago, um, it was more common for people to build their own homes without using any kind of bank at all. Things have changed. So uh, in a city where they're selling the idea of comfort and and providing comfort and convenience, but that, that, you know, that can be expensive. So we're going to go to Viata Robinson, who actually lives in a tiny house, uh, but she used to live in a bigger house at first. So let's go to her right now. Good morning, Ms. Horace. Good morning. It's cold in Florida. Oh, yeah. Well, it's all relative to what? Would you rather be in Florida or Chicago? <laughs> no, Chicago's below zero now, so I'm not interested in going back there. It was only in the 40s. The lowest it got was maybe 30s while I was there, but I was staying in my dad's house all the time, so it was nice and warm. He He keeps the temperature at 76, so it's always toasty okay. in his house. I imagine some people that in Chicago, they came down here, they might be wearing shorts. But for Florida, though, for the last four days or so, it's been, it's been, uh, matter of fact, I'm sitting here right now with a, a wool ca- cap on and a, and a, and a jacket. And I'm on the inside of the house. Yeah, that same here. My, my tiny house is cold because I don't want to turn this heater on right now. So yeah, well, it has its benefits. Well, but we are in. We know it'll warm up soon. Yeah, yeah. It'll, I think it'll get up to sixty-one degrees here uh, when I'm at Lakeland. So now you're you're living in a tiny house now. Now let, let's work what you have now and then work our way backwards. How many square feet uh, is your home? A uh, hundred and sixty square feet. It's eight by twenty. And with your well, the house that you had uh, in Orlando, you lived in California too. I don't know which one had the bigger square footage, California or Orlando. Florida, Florida. Uh, about right, about so twenty six hundred. About twenty six hundred square feet. Had a yeah. swimming pool in it, right? Right. Okay. So, uh, and I think what. A billionaire or a, a, a very wealthy millionaire bought that home um, from you. But uh, anyway, so how did you go from psychologically now, from 2,600 square feet and a pool to what you have now? 
Well, you know, I, I didn't I didn't think about it before, but when I was listening to this guy talking and just reflecting on why I'm in this tiny house, I had a friend who was homeless. You met her at one of your meetings, and she was homeless for a whole year. And I met her one day because uh, she had no money, and she was going into this shelter, and she needed money just to get in the shelter. And I thought, and I was still in my house at the time, and I thought, wow, I hope I'm never in hold, this situation. Hold, 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 she needed money to get into it? I thought Stealthy, she just walked in free. Oh, no, not anymore. I, I, that's what I thought, too, until she said she needed, I think it was like 15 or $20 you had to pay every night. Anybody in this particular oh, shelter? Oh, okay, that's cause, yeah, you the know, salva- yeah, the Salvation Army's like that. Salvation yeah, Army, yeah, I'm so, over what it used, it used to be three days free, then you start paying yeah, that's that's it. Three days free, and then she'd been in there. She'd been homeless for a whole year, so you can imagine going place to place and having relatives every now and then. But I thought when I I, I felt so sad after I dropped off twenty dollars so she could, and I dropped her off some vitamins and just gave her whatever I could. And I thought, I hope I never get into that situation. So I think in subconsciously that motivated me to buy this tiny house. So that I would never Thank have you. to be in that position again. And so, and that along with realizing after being married for 36 years, having someone else pay the mortgage and then divorcing and realizing you're on your own and this is how much money you're going to have to, to live on each month or, or day or you're going to have to work the rest of your life. Considering the finances that I that I would have access to, I thought, oh, dear, I can't afford to spend $1,000 a month in this rented condo I was in for the first year. And so I had to make decisions. So all of that played into my decision and my, my emotions to get a tiny house and just at least I have a, a place I can go to. I, I spend a lot of time with friends who have bigger, friends and relatives who have bigger houses so that mm-hmm. I feel like I'm helping them maintain their houses since I don't have a whole lot to maintain in my small house. Now, the, the good thing about your house is you actually own it. Right. Um, and nope, the, the tax man, I mean, is not tax assessed because um, it's on a trailer. It's not tax assessed. Um, so you're not going to, you don't have to pay property taxes. You don't get a property tax bill of a thousand, two thousand, or five thousand or more a year, which is good. Well, in a um, way, you know, in a way, I consider that I'm paying property taxes because what I pay to rent this space is only two hundred and fifty dollars a month, and I'm helping the okay. landowner pay his taxes. So, I, I, in a way, I feel like I own a little partial of this land because I pay him to park my tiny house here, and so that's my property tax. I kind of have taken possession of this land. I love this space that I'm in. And he has to pay taxes on over five acres here. And so I'm just helping him pay his taxes. That's how I look at it. And then I get all this space and all this land to grow food and enjoy and walk the nature path. And so people can look at it in a way as helping someone who has a lot of land. People are struggling who have large pieces of land and and they don't have the income to pay the increased taxes. So in some small way, we can help these big landowners if they're, you know, humble and, and caring for the land, help them pay their taxes so we can all live a more peaceful life. Okay. Now, speaking of which, 
my property tax bill came in last week on my four acres up in North Florida, and it's four acres, and my property tax bill, now I don't have any improvements on it yet, um, which we'll give news information on this, but my tax bill, if I pay it, oh, God, well, had I paid it last month, it would have been $118. Uh, but let's say for the whole year, this, for the whole year. Now, it, but I missed the deadline of November thirtieth. So if I don't pay this bill until I got until April thirtieth to pay this bill before it becomes delinquent. All right, it's December now, middle of the month. So if I, you know, I'm, I'm going to send this out perfect this week. Um, if I if I wait until April thirtieth. On April 30th, my, for four acres, it's $127.66 for the year. That's if I wait and pay it that late. So I'm going to pay it this this week before the end of the month of December, and then it'll be $120.22 for four acres uh, of land in North Florida. Now, mind you, that's with no... That's with no no real estate improvements on it. So one of the things where I've been real slow is I'm not going to put any real estate on it. Real estate, and that's why this show is we're going to really get into the distinctions of the distinction between housing and real estate. What Viata has is she has housing. She has a tiny house. She owns it outright. The government can't take it, okay? However, it's, it's personal property. That's the classification of it legally. Whereas if it's real estate, that's something that you put a foundation on, you put a permanent building on that, then that becomes real estate, and then, then your partners with the government, then they can assess it every year, and then they can tax them. If you don't pay a water bill or pay the tax, they can snatch it from you. All right, so... Um, what what I'll do on this four acres to keep on getting low tax bills like this is put movable housing on the land. Something like you have the other. It can be a tiny house on a trailer or a tiny house on skids, something like that that's mobile. And and don't you think uh, this don't you think this tiny house movement has exploded? I would say it's exploded from what I see on in, on the internet and the emails oh, I no get question. from tiny house movement no, because no people are beginning because people are beginning to realize that you ha- it's a personal property, not something that the government can take away and tax and blah 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 blah. So that if the people are waking up to a better way to a better lifestyle that doesn't include control by the government. I think that's why this movement is exploding all over the earth, not just in the United States. Yeah, yeah all over but the I'm world. But I'm watching houses in Australia, from Australia to France to everywhere on this planet, people are waking up to this movement. Right. You're absolutely right. So uh, that's like, so we're going to really concentrate on that. And, um, now where where and, and now where you live? 
Here's mm-hmm. another point that, that that audio you played. Um, the the solution to homelessness is truly tiny houses. Be helping, teaching people how to build their own house. We need to start in high school because we don't know if these young people, this generation, is going to be able to get a college education and make a million dollars and have a two car and a garage and all that. So we need to bring shop back into the schools and teach these young people how to build their own houses. That's part of the solution as well. Right, and that's why we're opening up our own school just for that. And like I said, there's a bunch of tiny houses. I mean, for the last two years, I've gone up to Vermont uh, for like a a tiny house build um, retreat. And uh, that last year, it was a lady that came up from South America. She she came up from Chile. Uh, she traveled like two weeks to get to this thing. And I think the year before that, I didn't intend the year before that, but uh, somebody came over from Sweden or someplace like that. But you, you had all these people that, that came to Vermont. They, they got these, they, take, they have tiny house festivals now all over the place. But, uh, one of the things that uh, we'll do, and I'll, I'll bring person put Stephens on, is we want to localize. As a matter of fact, um, I, I was reaching out to you. To, uh, no, yesterday or the day, I think you were probably still in Chicago when that thought came on my mind. Is what I want to do with podcasts is numerically, I got good numbers, but they're all over the place. What I want to start mm-hmm. doing is getting. Uh, in other words, if I do, um, well, if I if I want to attract people for, um, uh, let's say, Taft, Oklahoma, okay, I want to get mostly, I want to get locals that, I want to get more locals into that particular um, area to listen to the podcast so I can do something. So in that area, Um just like I did with, uh, you know, you do with, when you go to a, a local radio station, you know, you, you're getting local people to listen to you and they, they'll come out to your event or whatever. So that's one of the things we'll be doing uh, this year, too. We'll be uh, doing, we'll be branching off this podcast to have podcasts that focus in on a particular local demographic. Um, yeah, yeah. And you know, I, when I was in Chicago, we had the Female Solution did a show with a gentleman talking about uh, the Chicago urban area, the possibility of tiny houses in that area. And he's an expert on politics and codes. And that, that just really sunk in that you're not going to be able to have a tiny house in an urban area like Chicago. There's too many codes and regulations and political influences that are going to resist and prevent you have a real battle trying to put your tiny house in most urban areas. So you might as well get the psychological adjustment that you're going to have to leave the comforts of the city. Yeah. Well, now the interesting because I saw that podcast this past year that you were on with him. Um, now here's I got a lot of Chicago listeners, and their people in Chicago because Chicago's got a massive uh, population, there's enough people in Chicago that would jump on the tiny house bandwagon. I just had to find a piece of land, I don't know, in Wisconsin, somewhere within about a 90-minute 
90 minutes or less away from Chicago. Um, I haven't had any luck so far, but I may not come across something. Because the the because um, people already people that work in Chicago, you have a lot of people that might work in Chicago, but they live in Iowa. You know, some live in Wisconsin and come to work. Some live um, in I'm talking further past Gary or Hammond, uh, Indiana. They live further east, but they commute to Chicago every day. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll come across something there or whatever. But before we go to Pleasant, tell us psychologically, um, and I guess maybe economically, some of the adjustments that you had to make going from a $2,600, I mean, 2,600-square-foot house with a swimming pool, which could have been a tiny house in itself, to what you have now. Well, uh, the, the, my, my next ebook will be downsizing as a bitch because that's the biggest adjustment is letting go of all the stuff that you accumulate when you have a 2,600 square feet. People who have large houses, to me, all they're doing is using those houses to store their stuff. Because if you didn't have all that space, and you and I know that we don't live in every room in a 2,600 square foot. We don't utilize every room most of the time we're spending our t- in, in two rooms or, le- or, or two or three rooms. So that's the biggest adjustment is downsizing. And then maintaining, you know, I could get really cluttered in this tiny house if I keep uh, adding things to it. Instead, I have to kind of keep letting go of things. I had to let go of a basket that I had taken, brought with me because it started to have mildew on it. For some reason on the bottom, I found mildew. So I said, I don't need this. I out the door and I put it in my little shed uh, next door. So that to me is maintaining uh, uh, a sense of, of minimalism in the house. And before you get in it, it's downsizing, downsizing, and downsizing and letting go, which is so freeing to the psyche and the and the emotional state that, that I'm in, not having a bunch of stuff. And being in other people's houses, I realize people on the border are being hoarders with their stuff, especially if they have large houses because they don't use all the stuff and they're just keeping it for because of memories or whatever. But everything in my house pretty much I use almost daily. And so that's the benefit of having a smaller space is that you only use you only have what you really need not what you're saving from memories and pictures and all that and mom's old furniture and you just can't do that so you're better off investing in a bigger place and putting all your stuff there than trying to bring it in you and then just and then my refrigerator is not that big so I'm I'm really more disciplined about grocery shopping and not bringing home a lot of food like I used to when I had a big refrigerator. I could stuff the refrigerator with all a week's worth of food. I can't do that anymore because my refrigerator is like half the size or more of what I used to have. So it's mainly well, you're, you're size. Eating, um, I guess you're eating fresh. Well, you're eating fresh. Um, yeah, for the most part, no need, no space right. for junk food and all that processed stuff. I have just the essential. I have lots of jars of dried beans, just nuts and seeds, and uh, okay. and lots of seasonings. And then teas make up a big part of my my cupboard. 
and then uh, fresh vegetables and fruit in the refrigerator and a blender. I have to have my Vitamix. That's my main source of preparing food. Okay. So priorities and discipline are the adjustments. What's for? What do you really need? What do you really value? And then being disciplined in uh, grocery shopping. I used to grocery shop almost daily. You know, if I was out of something, run to the store and get it, run to the store. If I'm in that grocery store once a week, maybe, or if I'm traveling, I might stop and get water or something. But I'm more disciplined about my shop, grocery shopping now. Okay. Now, another model, because uh, you, your tiny house is on five acres. So how many other right. households are on that, that uh, plot of five acres? Right now, only uh, three. The owner himself, he has a house on the other side of the lake, which I can walk to. And then there are two, there's one woman uh, who has a, um, not a mobile home, but a trailer, a, a stationary trailer. And then another family of two with two children living next to her with a trailer. So there's only uh, one, two, three, four of us on this five acres, which makes it really nice. I like that's why I feel like I own part of this land because there's nobody here but me. For you know, I have about a quarter of acre of space to myself, and then uh, everyone else has lots of space, lots of trees, a lake down the hill. So I'm I'm just really grateful that I'm in this environment, very mm-hmm. healing environment, pure environment. If there's no chemtrails in the sky, I feel like I'm really blessed. <laughs> All right, great. Well, now that's one thing we'll be talking about a lot here too is um, how you can um, get a, a, a parcel of land and maybe use a portion of it for yourself, and then have parking space for other people that want to go tiny, or some kind of emergency housing, or Maybe they want to live out there. Um, matter of fact, we got uh, um, something right now in Texas and Arizona where you can own um, a, a plot of land for, like, cheap. Uh, matter of fact, I'll, I'll get that prepared for tomorrow's podcast. In any event, let's go to our other uh Guest here, Pleasant Stephens. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. I don't know if I want to say anything. You guys sounding so good. Hello, Bianca. How you doing? Good morning, Pleasant. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, dear. Fantastic. Good. Staying warm. What is the temperature there in Chicago now? I just left last week, but. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you guys what the temperature is because y'all will think I'm crazy living in this ice this ice cube. <laughs> I know, I know. But at least you have a home. That's the important thing where you can turn the heat on, huh? Well, yeah, I got the heat on, honey, and I got it up to about 75 degrees. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's where my dog keeps his, 75 or 70. In fact, it was at 75. He said, turn that up a notch. It's too close, that warm a notch. <laughs> yes, you know what I'm talking about. You, you've you been here. So you know exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. I was in, yeah. I was in, uh, uh, I was in, uh, Lord have mercy. I was in uh, Mississippi for the last three days since uh, since the 8th. I was in Mississippi to my uh, mother, oh, my you're wife. Oh, tra- you're traveling again, huh? Huh? You're, you're traveling again. 
So you're well enough to travel. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm well enough to travel. Yeah, and I was there for, up until yesterday. We got home yesterday. And I was doing some research while I was in Mississippi looking at thousands and thousands of acres. I went to Mount Bower, Mississippi, to see what they had been doing for the years that I hadn't been there. And oh, they man, have that's, built that, some, that's a treat. Yeah, well, I wanted to do a little research to see what we are missing. Mm. And they have, built, they have built some houses on real estate that you were speaking about a few minutes ago. Because nobody has brought the tiny house and how to install a tiny house on the land that they're living on. Therefore, their tax burden is high. But they, the houses that they're living in could easily be put on wheels that, that nobody had brought to their attention so that they okay. wouldn't have that burden of taxes. So I would listen to these guys talk about the, the tax burden. I've got uh, 25 acres of land in, in uh, Arkansas that I'm going to go down and I'm going to build some houses on. But that 25 acres pays for itself. Now, let me tell you what I saw in in, uh, in Mississippi. It's pecan trees pay for the tax. My tax is only $30 a year, 25 acres. Ooh. So you know what? That, that this is what I mean. I'm gonna structure this show. I'm a real. I'm a format it slowly but surely for next year, because I want people like, for instance, there are people that live in Chicago or D.C. or Orlando that are struggling. Yeah, and yeah. they they, they I, just don't they, they don't think about you know what? Why don't I take a look at Arkansas? Yeah, look at what I'm paying here in Chicago. Sixteen, seventeen, uh, seventeen hundred dollars a year for tax. Sitting on, sitting on a lot. One hundred and twenty-five mm-hmm. square, one hundred twenty-five feet long and thirty, and fifty feet wide. Okay. So, and my wife and I, we were looking and we were talking about it on the way back, and we were saying, you know, we've been giving our way, our money away, but it says nineteen fifty-nine. Just giving it away, because we live in an incorporated area. It's to where right. we live in the where we live in the city of Chicago, right outside the city of Chicago. It's a lot of uncooperated land that we can buy. So we are looking at doing two things: building on the property in Arkansas, or buys buys an acre or so in Mississippi, because right beside her sister's house, she had been telling her sister she wanted to buy a lot beside her house. And her sister said, yeah, you can. The lot beside her sister's house cost $300. Her sister had a mobile home on her house. She didn't have any property tax other than the tax she was paying for the land. And I said, my God, look at the money you saved. Listening to the audio that we were just listening to, I think that would be a nice model if we wanted to do a little bit of tweaking it, we can tweak it when he was talking about building extensions. Well, an extension right. on a house don't have to, extension on a house that can be an attachment. It don't have to be built where it's not movable. And the houses that Locker is talking about, you convert the house that she lived in on a 
flatbed and move it anytime you get ready. Yep. So that, that's that's the way, and Viola was right when she brought it up. One of the reasons why the tiny house movement is explosive globally is because people are looking for a way um, um, to survive. Even if you want to live in a place like Chicago, okay, Chicago's got the comfort and convenience, and they got the restaurants and the theater and nice people. All that's good and well. But if if you want to stay in Chicago or New York, an expensive market like those, you can supplement by getting you a couple of tiny houses to take, you know, to support your lifestyle in Chicago. That's the way I see it. At least yeah. one of the ways I see I'll, it. If you want to stay in the corporate area, but I, 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 I take it a step further. I say move out of the corporate uh, incorporated area and build your own community. And you build yep. your own community and uh, build your own community, as you stated earlier, on wheels, on a slab, on a, on a slab that's movable. And there are so many ways that we can get away from paying these high taxes. I was looking let, at... Let me ask uh, you, all right, let, let me, now you brought up something that I'm sure we're going to do probably many podcasts on this topic, building your own community. Now, there's all different type of communities out here. Viata, you live, I guess, in a community of sorts because, you know, it's... Uh, I've been out there a couple of times. Um... It's not that big. Nobody is, but no more. What, how many tiny houses can you put up? I mean, structures out there, about four or five? Yeah, easily, yes. All right, yeah, it's not overcrowded at all. Four or five, you know, the owner's on the other side of the lake, like you mentioned earlier. Now, let, oh, let's go back to, because we're talking about building communities. Let's say you got five acres like this guy, because as President's pointed out, there are places in this country where you can get the four or five acres on the cheap. All right, we we got that part. But organize the community. Share with us what you've learned from your social capital group, which, you know, just the personality. What should people look for when organizing the community? Because your social capital group is a community. Yeah. Social capital is each, each of us helping the other. Uh, build a house that's the way it's comfortable, like Beyonce. Yeah, well, plus, what I want is Viata to share with us, because with, with her group, well, with any group, Viata, what what have you learned from dealing with that social capital group in Orlando? You have to get to know the people first. Don't just accept anyone and everyone who says, oh, I want to live. No, you have to get to know people. I think you have to almost interview people who you're inviting to your social capital group. You got to get to know them, history, everything, as much as possible, because I think you're going to, like I discovered some real uh, personality flaws and, and the way people do business as we got more and more into the project, they wanted to take control of everything and then things got out of uh, we. There were more legal problems because of that, and so you really, in my opinion, need to get to know the people. I, I would say have social uh, events with these people, go to their houses, have meetings at houses. You do as much as you can to get to know more about the people, so your intuition can tell you whether this person is going to work out and and reduce the conflict in the capital group. Now you you brought up some good things. Social events. 
uh, or let's say, uh, yeah, I, I agree with the interview thing, but let's say, but, you know, an interview can be a few minutes. What about how long do you think you should interact with people through social events or what have you before you decide to go into um, a venture with them? You know, I don't, I'm not sure about the time or timing on that, but there there's red flags that might come up for during the time you're you're developing this group. So I would just say pay attention to the red flags and your intuition about the people that you're you're inviting into this group because there, for me there were all kind of red flags when I look back and I just ignored them, being hopeful and and you know wanting to do this and and yet. Now I'm, I have some regrets, but yet the lessons are there, and I'm just sharing the lessons. But I'd say as long as you don't see red flags continually coming up, then that's probably a good sign that this person is going to work out. Yeah, that's one of the well, things me, we'll be doing. Is, yeah, go ahead, Pleasant. Let me add a little bit to what you said. In 1980, uh, I was driving a truck, hauling automobile, Ford Motor Company, and they went out of business. So I decided to open up my own trucking business. And I opened my own trucking business and bought some trucks. But at the, at the same time, I opened up a nightclub to all 150 people. I had no problem with one person. And when I got that person straight, he became one of my best customers. I think social capital is how you start out in a contractual manner. With the people that gets out of hand, they're going to show the red flag moments notice. I then, my my uh, brother came from Mississippi, and I opened up lounge for him to run. I had no problem at all with those two ventures, none, because people got okay. to know me, to know how I run the business, and I had no problem. But let me add something else to this conversation. If you notice when the larger factories are built and we go to work, whether right here in Chicago, we got people to drive 50, 60 miles every day going to work. That's a 100 miles round trip. Now, but these factories are in rural areas. They're not in the city in cooperative zone. So if the people that we're going to build the homes in we can create the industry into where they don't have to go, drive those those distances to go to work. We also you know now what you just said, Pleasant. That's how they roll over in China and some parts of Southeast Asia. They have dormitories yep. where the workers stay, and then they, right. it, it, it's like a family. Yeah, and that's where it is in Mount Bow, Mississippi. The only thing that they haven't done with me, I was looking at thousands of acres of vacant land in Mississippi just this week. Now, you can, as, as a young man was saying on the video, you can buy off oh, an acre, two acres, and, and let me drop this in there real quick, just switching horses for a minute. My wife sold some pecans and she wanted to bring some pecans back for Christmas. We paid $5 mm-hmm. for 10 pounds of pecan and brought them back. You can take one pecan tree 
and sell the pecans over that pecan tree to pay your taxes for a year for land. One pecan tree, it will supply yep. the money to pay your taxes. So your taxes will be none and have pecans left over. So we yeah, have people, been missing people gotta think that way. Yeah, because she said it needs to be taught in the schools. And, you know, I, I've expounded on We've got to build our own schools. We got to write the curriculum for the school. We got to teach the teachers what teaching the benefits of the schools and the housing that we live in. I don't think we'll have any problem building a nice community because we're going to build a comfort that these people have somewhat used to, but they have their own ownership. And when a person has a vested interest in their own ownership, they are less. Uh, prone to have make an uh, to create a problem. Now, you know that's the, that's, that is the solution I think, uh, President, and that's what my vision is for this documentary I'm working on about my dad and football. Is that my vision is that we can inspire these NFL players who are killing themselves to shorten their career and go back and build schools for the next generation. We've got. I think all of us agree that the solution and part of it is getting this next generation a, a new edu- another education about how to survive, how to live and how to uh you know, be their own entrepreneurs and, and instead of depending on all the systems that are broken today. So I thank you for bringing that out because that's what the solution is is to build our own schools. We got to go back into our own communities and build our own schools and stop depending on a system that's totally broken and has not prepared our youth to survive in this society we live in. Let me lay this on your mind. If you buy a ticket with Megabus out of Chicago to Memphis, Tennessee, if you buy it a month ahead and this Megabus system is coming out of Canada, if you buy it a month ahead, you can get a ticket from Chicago to Memphis, Tennessee for $25. When you get to Memphis, Tennessee, uh, when you get to Memphis, Tennessee, there is no mega bus running from Memphis to 100 miles of of, uh, of, of uh, Memphis out into Mississippi. The opportunities is here for us because the, the uh, bus cost Forty-four dollars from a hundred miles into Mississippi. Forty-four dollars, almost twice as much for a hundred miles as it is six hundred miles from Chicago. Now, there's an opportunity collectively for us to create a transportation system that we can hire people for forty cents a mile, depending on where they want to go, anywhere they want to go in Mississippi from. Memphis, Tennessee. I'm doing some more research on putting a system in place to where we can be competition to Megabus because the opportunity is wide open. It's gold laying on top of the ground, and we haven't taken advantage of it. Just like the well, solar energy that we. That's one of the things, like, uh, President. That's one of the things, President, we have to do with the new school system is 
help our young people recognize these opportunities like you just described. They don't even know how to look for those opportunities because our school system has our, our students in a computer f- uh, screen trying to see, figure out how they can make more money and work for some some company instead of helping them develop entrepreneur minds. So that's why we have to develop new schools so they recognize opportunities. That's got to be a class all on its own. Now you're right. That That is a not only a class, but a curriculum that should be required a minimum of four years, if not more. This is the only talk radio show that I've been on in the last four years to where you're talking with common sense. Just common down-to-earth sense. You know, it, it, it's so easy to actually live debt-free. And, you you know, you came to, to my factory here in Chicago, you know that factory cost me fifty when I had it open cost me fifteen hundred dollars a month. Plus light and gas. Fifteen hundred dollars a month is what I was paying for that before I got sick. And I take it that God says, No, 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 no. You are doing the wrong thing because you're spending almost as much money as you're making. So here's what I'm gonna do for you. I'm gonna knock you down and repair you, fix you up the way you can go back and have a good look at what you have missed. And I feel that I'm fortunate to have had an open-heart surgery, and now I'm able to travel again. But I won't be making any clothes because my sons, my I got three sons and a cousin that's in Georgia that's going to be doing T-shirts. They're going to start making T-shirts next year. I got a son here in Chicago is going to start assembling automobiles. Hopefully he'll start next year assembling Excaliburs so that we will have our own transportation system. So there are so many golden opportunities if we take a look at what we can do collectively. It's yeah, and, and we have to... And we have to get it out of the minds of these high school students that the only path is college education. That That's another problem in our school system is that everybody in high school from freshman on is being prepared for college. And half the children don't get scholarships, so then they think they need a loan to go to college, and then they get out and they have all this debt and no job. So that's a big error right there. So starting educating them about opportunities, how to build your own business. That's what our new schools have to be about. That's right. Right. Look at what just happened. Look at what just happened yesterday. Here's something that happened right in our front door. The people came out to vote yesterday, and they voted the Republican out of office that's been there for a decade, over a decade. Voted them out of office. So these are the kind of things. But what what was the what attracted me was that the guy that they voted into office said he's going to reach across the line and bridge bridge the uh, bridges that with the Republicans. Why would you want to go and take your enemy and make friends with him? It's ridiculous. You see what he's about. All we're going to have the same system with every elector. So don't worry about me being a Democrat because I'm going to take the Republicans and bring them into the system that I'm going to bridge the bridges with. No. That system has not worked in America 
for 500 years. They killed Abraham Lincoln because he supposedly had freed the slaves. They elect, they put this clown in, in office with the with the system that wasn't able to, that we had not been able to uh, get rid of. It, uh, the, what's that system that uh, they don't uh, they don't elect president? They install them. What, what's the name of that thing that they installed Trump with? Uh, oh, you talk about the electoral the, college. Electoral college. That thing should have been null and void at slavery time back in the 1700s. But no, this guy that got elected yesterday kind of made a, when he took his speech, made a speech, says, I'm going to reach across the aisle. And uh, if you listen to what he was saying and analyze it, he's going to bring the Republicans in to keep it alive. But the Black folks came out and drove, and a few, few white young white people uh, took it upon themselves to vote and take the put the Democrats in office. The Democrats ain't gonna do much more, if as much as the Republicans. So we have to take, and as Veronica was saying, we have to take notice to the speeches that's made and how people when they speak what they're actually saying. They're not saying that they're going to empower black people. They're saying that they're going to keep the empowerment in the white race. Well, that's because the, the whole the whole government system is run by lobbyists and the, the corporations. Well, I don't think we can trust any, whether they're Democrat or Republican. We can't trust none of them. They're all liars because when they get in there, the lobbyists are going to influence them more than anything. And then they're all run by corporations with their own personal interests. So there's very little, in my opinion, very little political activity going on that we can trust. No, it's not one that I know of that we can trust. Not one. We have to be a little oh, system at the bottom of uh, Oh, let's save the rest of this for tomorrow because we're out of time. Uh, in any event, thank you all for participating, Pleasant, Viotti, uh, and all the listeners. We'll be back. Tomorrow, uh, we're trying to get a surprise guest on here for Solar. Uh, 